Decorating Pages is a podcast dedicated to taking you behind the scenes of the designs of your favorite TV shows and films. Each episode, I'll be sharing design stories from some of Hollywood's most famous sets. Interviews from set decorators, production designers, directors, and actors about creating the look of TV and film, about their design inspirations, and stories that take sets from page to screen. Hello, and welcome to Decorating Pages. I'm your host, Kim Wanup. I hope everyone is safe and sound and healthy and keeping indoors and uh, not going crazy and watching lots of good TV and film. Um, I wanted to start this out and just talk a little bit about how this pandemic is going to affect our industry and at least my little thoughts about it. There was a really gloom and doom article on uh, Deadline.com that came out this week, basically of how we will have to sign away our uh, lives, really, to work on a show and um, come in an hour early to be tested every day and how craft service is going to be affected. And it really was very... I thought irresponsible of deadline to put out there because to me, it didn't seem whoever wrote the article doesn't work in our industry. It, uh, it's just seemed like the worst case scenario for all of us. And I don't think it's going to be like that. I don't. Um, I think whatever our new standards will be, it probably won't be forever. So we will have to deal with it. And then once there is some sort of vaccine or however we're going to get through this, I think, you know, gradually our day-to-day lives of production will go back to normal. I think, yes, absolutely. We're all going to have to keep our distance from each other. But I don't really know how that works um, in TV and film and how we get things done. Because... Look, my guys are in a truck picking up furniture all day. They're not going to be six feet from each other. There's like three or four of them in the truck in the cabin together. That's not going to happen. The offices that we have, sometimes, um, I mean, I'm lucky not on the current show. Sometimes I have four people in an office that's a 10 by 10, and I'm not kidding. We are like sardines sometimes and people in trailers and the makeup trailer and people on set who sit next to each other all day. I guess they got to space out. I, I video village. I don't know how that works. I'm glad that I don't have to figure it out, but it's going to affect me and you if you're in this business. And so we better start thinking about it. Um, the, this article also went into like our insurance and, I don't know. It was pretty a downer. I mean, a friend of mine, Denise Pizzini, uh, was commented to me and some friends about it and said, you know, she was very positive and sort of this is a time we'll get creative and maybe this is, you know, we won't be doing six locations a day and, you know, we're going to have to 
change the way we make film and it'll just make us more creative. And that's, that's a positive thing. It, maybe it will make us more creative. But the reality, too, is when this article says only one saw per person, that's not how sets are made. And that really made me think that this person doesn't know how our jobs really are. So I also think that uh, we are below the line. And that's uh, pretty essential <laughs> to they can care about us and our unions can get involved and everything, but it's the actors who are really going to dominate how this is affected in our day-to-day. If they're going to get tested every day before they come to work, I don't know how that would work in my department. My buyers start out in the morning like at a prop house or, you know, we don't, we don't start on the lot every day or I start out at a location dressing And even if you have a fever one day, you might not have it the next. Or let's say two of my buyers have a fever. Well, then what am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to find replacements for that day for people to work. It's it's really these these situations are real, and I don't know how to deal with it. (laughs) I mean, I'm not I'm not coming to you with an answer right now. I'm coming to you with a lot of questions of, I don't know, and and sort of hypothesis of how we can get this done, but I know for sure that it's going to come down to the actors and what standard they put forth of how they're going to want to work, and then it's going to trickle down to us, and that's what I believe. That's just, that's my two cents there. So, um, I have heard that... Uh, my show will start up mid-May and hopefully start shooting mid-June. I don't think that that's going to happen, but that's what they're hoping for. And, you know, I know a lot of people want to get back to work. So I'll hope for that too. So again, I hope everyone is doing well. I hope your mental health is staying fit. And, uh... I mean, knock on wood, everyone in my family is staying healthy. I'm secretly loving this time off with my twin boys. So it's a a tough job. It's a 12-hour day thing, but I love it. I'm watching a shit ton of TV and film when they nap or go to bed for the night. But that's work. Uh, Wink, wink. Uh, For those of you not following Decorating Pages on social media, I've started a weekly bracket of the best production design uh, winning films or nominated films, and I'm going by decade. So far, I've done the 20 teens and the Great Gatsby one. Uh, In the 2000s, Avatar took it home. In the 90s, Pleasantville pulled through. That's awesome. And in the 80s, Brazil. And then this week was the 70s and Star Wars took it home. I got to say, the 70s had the best movie poster design, I think. The, the cartoonish effects that they had in there and the color palettes, it's really, really unique. And it really has a, like a time stamp on them. You can find the link to vote on these brackets on the homepage of decoratingpagespodcast.com. On Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, you, you can't get away from it. So next week is the 60s, so I hope you vote, because that should be fun. 
Along with this, I'm watching winning and nominated films that were nominated for Best Production Design A to Z. So, so far, I've revisited A, All the President's Men, B, Batman, C, Color Purple, D, Darkman, Gandhi, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, and then this week I watched The Irishman. So I'm just writing little blogs of just a remembrance of that production design and some of these films I've never seen. So it's a fun little project to watch uh, and these are just beautifully designed films that are bringing these stories to the screen and it's very inspiring. Um, I also I'm getting, uh, it's getting a little costly, to be quite honest, because I keep buying the movies that I don't have or can't find, and uh, I love Amazon Fire, though. I mean, it's like two clicks away from any movie you want. It's crazy. It's crazy. I love it. Other than that, what's one up watching? Uh, everything. I'm watching everything. I finished the third season of Ozark. I did Tiger King under protest because I think it's ridiculous and I think it's bad for animals, but uh, I loved the morning show. I'm watching Making the Cut, which I think is really what Project Runway should have evolved to. It's like the grown-up version of of that. I mean, they're finally giving away real money. They're up to like a million dollars there in Paris. They're like traveling to other fashion cities. It's like, that's what Project Wonder should have evolved to. I'm sure Heidi is very proud. Uh, I'm watching Little Fires Everywhere, which I don't know what this shit is with Hulu, and it's like one episode a week. Just give it to us all. We're in, we're inside. It's a pandemic. Just give us the whole thing. Um, I'm okay with it. I think the production design is fantastic, Jessica Kinder. Um, I, the story is, uh, I don't know, but I keep watching it. I finished the that last season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think it's the funniest season that he's had. I finished How to Be a God in Central Florida on Showtime. We just finished Tales from the Loop that's on Amazon, which is kind of like a Twilight Zone, but it's also, uh, there's, I don't know, it was sad. I mean, I, I keep trying to find, like, happy shit to watch, but I keep getting all these sad shows. I'm going to start Unorthodox, and I'm going to start Castle Rock. And I watched <laughs> and I watched Bombshell this week. So, and my friend, uh, Prop Master Gabe Perillo, worked on that. If you haven't heard her episode, it's really good. She talks a little bit about Bombshell and that also. It was good. I could not take my eyes off of Charlize Theron. I mean... That makeup was so impressive. It was, I mean, and then she got her voice all like Megan Kelly. It was good. And we finished Catch-22, which is why, uh, I mean, I watched, I'm not really into war stuff, but I watched it because on this episode, we have the production designer, David Grotman. Now, if you are watching anything great and can recommend it, I'm all in for recommendations. You can email me at kimwanup at decoratingpagespodcast.com. There's a link through the website, too, if you don't want to type it in. And hit me up. And also, if you have any suggestions of nominated or winning films for my A to Z, I'm open. I'm such a dork, man. I'll watch anything. I'm up for your suggestion. On this episode, I speak with production designer David Grotman. I reached out to David in January to talk about his ADG-nominated 
TV show Catch-22, which is on Hulu. Now, trying to coordinate interviews at that time was pretty hectic. Everyone was sort of working and trying to get it in before the awards. You know, people are busy. So they were like, I'll try me later. I hope I can do this. Fingers crossed. So I reached out to him now, thinking maybe you have some time. And uh, luckily, he, he did because he's amazing. And to be honest, uh, it's a pure joy of mine to do this podcast and being able to talk to someone who has inspired me, which basically is everyone, which is uh, that makes me really lucky. I've always looked at other people's work and been so impressed because there's just such creativity and I don't ever think of this stuff. I don't know if anybody looks at my work and says, well, I would never would have thought of that. I doubt it. But I know that these production designers, these people in the industry, these set decorators and everyone that I get to talk to, I'm just truly inspired by them. Now, I obviously watch a lot of TV and film. I've always been like this. And there are a couple movies that have always stuck out to me that I, every time it's on, I watch it. Um, one of them being Reversal of Fortune. I don't know if you've ever caught that. I can never stop watching that movie. I love it. But another film that I love is called Once Around. It was in the early 90s and it's Holly Hunter and Richard Dreyfuss. And it's a cute little story of a woman who's like lost in her life and she falls in love with this eccentric older man, Richard Dreyfuss, and her dad is Danny Aiello. And it's just a fun little movie. And the wedding scene when they're dancing to Fly Me to the Moon just makes me smile. And it's like I wanted my wedding to be like that, like just that happy. I don't know. Anyway, to my surprise, when I'm looking up David Groutman, he did once around. I mean, my my stomach dropped. I got butterflies. It was, uh. And then I'm looking at it. He did Marvin's Room, Waiting to Exhale. He did Doubt. I love Doubt. That's another one of those movies when it's on, I got to watch it. And those are just my dorky favorites. He is the production designer of Life of Pi, The Cider House Rules, Chocolat, August Osage County, Fences, Hairspray. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. This guy works. He has 51 projects in 38 years. He has two Oscar nominations for Life of Pi and Cider House Rules, two BAFTA nominations, eight Art Directors Guild nomination, and two wins, Life of Pi and Chocolat. He was in Italy scouting for his upcoming project, Talented Mr. Ripley, when this pandemic started. And so I'm just glad we got this guy to safety because... Uh, the talent there is is unbelievable so i hope you enjoy this as much as i did I was like, oh, wait, they're all New York. There's no way yeah. he's doing yeah, you like... Know, you asked about, um, you asked about Date Night and One Fine Day. Yeah. And both of those were L.A.-based pictures. We shot the bulk of those both in Los Angeles. And then um, 
I think on one fine day we had, um, I think maybe two weeks in, in New York. I can't remember on date night. I don't think it was much more on date night. So, um, that's fascinating because <laughs> there's such New York like location based, like run around yeah. films. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, yeah. That's, that's what we do right oh well yeah i know well hey i always i'm always impressed with us so <laughs> i always think that's the most impressive thing when someone's like oh what hospital did you shoot at and i'm like no 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 that's a set we built that or yeah. like that's that's the most impressive thing like gotcha that's yeah gotcha. No, that's what well, yeah <laughs> that's what you hope for yeah you hope that um that you sort of uh you found a way to sort of represent the world that that the audience doesn't have to think about it. They're just in that place. Yeah. And the escapism of it is really uh, important sometimes. And sometimes the sets are such characters that it's such a tremendous responsibility to pull that off. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I mean, uh, I have to say one of the trickiest things uh, um, was uh, one of the most challenging things, I thought, initially, was hairspray. Because they were determined that we weren't going to shoot in uh, Baltimore. And that uh, we were going to shoot in Toronto. And... um, as, I, as, I, as like I always do, my like uh, my riff is like, well, that's fine, but you know, I'm not going to go to Toronto till I've been to Baltimore, and figure out what it is that we're looking for. And so, I think they gave me like two days in Baltimore. It was kind of um, it was very whirlwind, and then uh, we went up to Toronto, and it was uncanny. Uh, <laughs> how much of that architecture I can find, I could find uh, in Toronto, all of that, um, you know, the fake brick, uh, the fake stone facades of the building were sort of typical in Toronto. We found that great intersection with um, uh, the tram tracks where we shot like all of our big exterior commercial scenes. Um, We found that amazing amazing 1960s high school that was the that's what really grabbed me more than anything else it was such a great piece of architecture so it felt so perfect so it's funny how toronto pulls off a lot of cities because i know they shoot philly they shoot philly in toronto a lot too Uh for that and i forget someone else was telling me i think i mean i know a lot of things shoot in pittsburgh but it was some other... I mean, a lot of New York City is shot in Toronto also, and... Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a time, you know, there was a time before you were born, Kimberly, mm-hmm. when uh, the tax rates were so great in um, Canada that I literally worked everywhere from uh, Newfoundland all the way across to British Columbia. I mean, I worked <laughs> every part of that But then country. the Canadians... They woke up and they were like, why are we working for less? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it took them so long to figure that out. <laughs> like, why oh, is I worked it there a lot, actually. But 
but not so much anymore. No. Now well, it seems now to be mostly Europe. You're all over. I mean, I should I should say I'm so thankful that you got out of Italy when you did. I have to say that was that was. Uh, well, we have a couple of wonderful producers on that project, but a line producer by the name of Diana Picorni who I've done a number of films with, and we've been friends for years. So it was just great happenstance that she ended up being the line producer on, on Ripley. And um, there were two Americans. I mean, I had been in uh, Italy since November. I was there November, December, uh, not January, and then February, March. And... Um, and she kept, uh, so there were two Americans, myself and a location manager that I worked with a lot by the name of Charlie Harrington. And um, she kept calling and saying, are you guys feeling all right? I mean, if you want to come home, you just say something, we'll bring you back at any point. And I just... So you are prepping. Saying, You're prepping at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Very early. We were very early um, doing very, very early scouting of locations there's mm -hmm. over 200 locations in the film and oh about God. a dozen stage sets and so um and and it shoots in um it shoots uh, we were going to be based in, uh, we will be based in rome but it shoots also in um venice palermo naples uh the island of ischia and on the amalfi coast wow. so like the scouting was, I mean, we're pretty much done with it now. Well, I mean, the we're scouting is basically you're drinking wine and you're eating pasta and you're looking yes, at gorgeous Italian yeah. cities, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. That's my so kind a of lot tech of scout. jumping back and forth and, you know, and trying to keep everything straight in your head. And right. <laughs> so, um, right. So we were there and uh, she kept saying, well, you could come back if you want. We'll bring you back at any time. And we were, no, 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 we're perfectly fine. And Charlie, I've done two other films in Italy and Charlie did both of those with me as well. And, um, and then uh, Monday, March 9th, I actually got a couple of emails from friends in the States saying, we hear that all of Italy has been locked down. And I said, well, that's news to me. <laughs> and I literally into my apartment that day. I'd been three months in a hotel and I literally moved into my apartment that day. I went out and bought groceries. I called the guys at um, the studio and I said, I'm going to be in a little late. I just have to get everything all set up so I don't have to worry about when I get home. And they said, you know, we're kind of thinking maybe today we're going to work from home because one of the guy's wife's was on Mission Impossible in Venice and it had a bit of a fever the night before and he said, I think maybe, you know, we should not be in the same room. Why don't we just work from home so I said all right and then that um evening uh they announced that all of Italy was going to be locked down and Diana called me and she said you're on a plane tomorrow at 10 30 a.m I have an office full of books and supplies at Chinichita which was sitting there I have all of my um clothes because I was going to be there for over a year right. all of my clothes in the apartment in in Rome, and here I am. So. <laughs> and so, uh, luckily you got out. And I mean, as far as my show is concerned, they they would like to come back mid May, and they would like to start shooting in June. But 
I have no idea. And I, I mean, I don't even know with Italy of how you even work that. I don't know how that, I don't know how we yeah. do it. I don't, given, um, you know, our work where it's about a community of anywhere from 200 to 300 people at any given time, I don't know how, I don't know how we're back to work this summer. Quite I frankly. don't know either. I, I don't know. And when I, I got an email saying like, you know, we, we'd like to start shooting mid June. I just thought like, well, are we all going to just wear masks? Are we, you know, and like with set dressing and, and art department, the construction, you're all working to all my guys are in a truck all day together. I'm, and, and then we all come home and I'm just, I don't, I'm not there. Uh, I, I'm not solid on that. This has passed and we can all just go back to, to work. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think, think we have to, I think, and, and I think my other really thought is, first of all, I'm glad I'm not a producer and I don't have to figure this all out. Yes. But how does that work with actors? Or like, say you had another project lined up after this. Like, how does that all work? Is it just like, oh, uh, everything just gets pushed or, oh, that's not going to happen because, yeah. you, you know, you had this, uh, you were starting something else in October and now it'll overlap. Like, it's a mess. That, I think it's a yeah. mess. I think it's, I, I'm just glad I don't have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it was, I mean, I'm sure all of the studios are wildly anxious to have content. But Well, that's, I think that's a good thing too, though. I, if anything, everyone's watching TV. I yeah. think everyone's watching everything that we've done and there's so much now to, to bite into, but I don't fear that our, uh, world is going to be affected. Thank God, knock on wood. I yeah. I, I think it it'll get back as soon as it can, and I think our industry will be fine because of uh, of all this and the slowdown, and then yeah, all of the outlets we have to to produce for. Yeah, I know the world has changed. I mean, uh, the world of um, film production has changed enormously. You know, from the time I started, one of the hardest things for me is a director that really likes to talk through concept <laughs> because, um, <laughs> you know, I really, you know, I'm much more comfortable sort of getting to know and understand a director, even personally having nothing to do with the project and to be as much a part of their mindset that I don't, that we don't need to talk about, what the yeah. film is going to look like, you know? I mean, um, I should just be able to become that, those eyes and that yes. that inspiration that he has. There's a, um, I worked a lot, I have worked a lot with the director, Lasse Halster. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we were doing um, uh, uh, the movie The Shipping News, you know, a key element is the greenhouse, and it's described as the greenhouse. And um, and at one point, Lassa said to me, "Oh, David, what? Um, so, what color green are you thinking of?" I said, "Oh, you know, Lassa, something that you know it kind of you know it's green, but you look at it, and you don't have to think about it being green. You know, like that." <laughs> and 
because we have done so much together, he accepted that. <laughs> uh, other directors might want to see, you know, some colored chips or something. Well, I, I, just, I always... You just hope that you're smart enough to just get a fight. Yeah, I always say, like, um, I, I used to, when I first started, thought, oh, it, this is such a weird process because... I don't have any interaction with the actors and it's their it's their character and shouldn't they have input or whatever but as I have learned we create this environment and we are on right. a, a lot longer than actors are usually and 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 in prepping this right but I um I used to have a little like uh like well I still do have a fire in me with uh, DPs and them moving lamps and moving you know they're moving the furniture instead of moving the camera and it always sort of really bothered me on one show that I was on and I used to up and I said L- listen I'm not gonna touch uh, you don't want me to touch your camera <laughs> so you don't touch my set dressing just trust that this is the environment like this is what it is like I don't. I don't need you to tell me. I don't need to move. The, I don't need this. Just shoot what's here. <laughs> I know that never happens. But right. it's, it's a point of like, look, I'm not going to go up to an actor and give him notes on how to read the, the line. And I'm not going to tell the director how to shoot it. So I do get very protective of like once the designer and I have like established the set, the protection there and sort of... right. The um, the I have justification for for the decisions that I've made. <laughs> well, that's a fight you can wage. Yeah, you can't always win it. <laughs> no, and you and I don't half the time because then I'm you know we're off to the next thirty sets. Right, right. And uh, it's really up to that onset dresser. Watching out for you. <laughs> yeah, watching daily sometimes is painful. I would say. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. but yeah. But you were, wait, uh, Yes. let me ask you this. So you have a background in theater. Right. So I started as a theater designer and and like I was designing sets in high school. And, um, and. uh, So you knew this was what you wanted to do. Well, you know what? I, you know, I wanted to be an actor. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What? Are you kidding? No, I wanted to be an actor. um, But I, you know, had some talent for, you know, art as well. And so um, by the time I got to high school, uh, to college, I realized that, you know, being an actor was not really a profession. And um, and I was going to pursue my art. And I got to San Francisco State and a friend of mine from high school in, in Los Angeles, who was also in theater, said, oh, there's this great um, design teacher here. You should take a set design class. And it never even occurred to me that that was like a discipline. Mm. Uh, it was just something you had to do to help out. <laughs> so, um, so I went and um, I asked about taking the class, and he said, you can't take it to the freshman. And um, anyway, I said, well, can I audit it? And he said, uh, I don't know, not really. That wouldn't really work. Anyway, somehow I got him let me audit the class. And... And then that was it. And then I just became a set designer. And uh, and then it was time to go to graduate school. And um, I applied to um, 
Small schools. You were into small I schools. I got into the Yale School of Drama. <laughs> so then I, was, then I was stuck. So and uh, I spent you know three years there. Every year saying I'm not coming back. I'm, you know I just want to go out and design sets. And uh, but I I did finish. I met my wife there, Karen. Wonderful. Um, <clears throat> pardon. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful. And we moved to New York together in 1977 and uh, we both had pretty long careers in the theater and doing um you know starting with uh, uh, off of broadway as a regional theater and then broadway and then um in 1980 i believe hmm, uh 79 or 80 robert altman decided that he wasn't going to make films anymore he was going to be a uh theater director and he moved to New York and he did a set of um, one act plays off Broadway, which went pretty well. And then uh, he decided he was going to do a play on Broadway called Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. And um, he uh, he was interviewing set designers and I got the job. So your first, and, so your first job was with Robert Artman and Cher. Well, no, I mean, I've been doing Broadway before that. But I know, but that's a hell of a doing, start. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, well, Cher and uh, Kathy Bates and Sandy Dennis yeah. and Karen Black and Sudi Bond and uh, Marta Heflin. It was pretty amazing. So we, we did that on Broadway where it was a fiasco. Oh, no. And then... Um, uh, and then um, a sort of very uh, persistent producer asked Bob if he would do it. I think we did it for Showtime, as a matter of fact. It must have been the for Showtime. And, the Five and Dime? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were going to do it for, you know, as a kind of adaptation for television. You know, I mean, sort of, you know, the idea was to shoot the film television. Yeah. And... Um, Bob said, uh, yeah, but he shot an eight millimeter film and um, because it was always his intention that it would be released theatrically. And so we built a set in a little like garage on the uh, west side of like Hell's Kitchen. And, uh, and then the film was very successful. And like to this day, it I don't know, it seems to have a following, and it was uh, re-released. Not, it, 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 they had done a, um, a reprint of it not uh, a couple of years ago and uh, played at uh, Museum of Modern Art. And anyway, I, I that's looked, how I, I looked for it to see if I could try to try to watch it just because I was interested of like, oh, my God, like this is – how do I not know about this one? Um, it wasn't on Amazon right now. But I'm definitely, I definitely want to see it. It seems interesting. I mean, it's almost like a dream team, and then you're they're honoring Jimmy Dean, right? They're getting they're like super fans, like like people right, are with right. Elvis, and they like get together. And but it's a story about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. And then yeah. Oh no, go ahead. No, so anyway. Um... Go ahead. You guys. Oh, I was actually going to go off on like a little tangent of, but I did find the uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane that you did. 
Um, and I watched, I started to watch a little bit of it, but just to try to like see some stuff. But I was like, oh my God, the Redgrave sisters did Baby Jane. This is fantastic. <laughs> they really got into it. That makeup was like, it was fantastic. Yeah. I don't think I've seen that since, <laughs> since it first aired on TV. Um, yeah. How did I end up doing that? I'm not quite sure. Uh, but it was, you know, Vanessa Redgrave is one of the actors that really had opinions about what her space should look like, oh. <laughs> including a rocking chair in her bedroom, oh. to which I said, but you know she's paralyzed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the rocking chair is going to tell the story, but uh, I mean, an amazing, I mean, what an amazing experience to work with those two actors. Yeah. Um, and John Glover, who uh, really love and um and a really lovely director david green so and you know they were really willing to bring me to los angeles california to do it so but a lot of your projects have the thread of they were plays or musicals like do you think do you seek those out or do you well i don't but you know i um but you're the uh, guy? Are you the guy for that? Well, the thing is, um, I yeah. love being the guy. Yeah, I, I think you are the guy. I mean... What I really, really love doing are thing plays like um, Marvin's Room, August Osage County. Um, I just did a film version of the play The Humans, mm -hmm. um, all which take place on, in one set. And to me, that's like the best because you have to work so hard to tell the story yeah. to make it to not let it feel like a stage adapta adaptation and um, you get to focus so much energy into this one thing yeah. it's really delicious as opposed to you know <laughs> doing a film, you know, our mini series with 200 locations <laughs> in 1960. Um, so, but the thing is, so um, partially happened is producer Scott Rudin. And Scott Rudin knew me from, um, from the theater before I ever did film. Um, he, he, um, he gave me two of my you know, two films back to back that I did with him, which were just wonderful films for me, Searching for Bobby Fisher. And, um, and um, as it completely goes, and nobody's full. Oh, yeah. And, um, and then after that, uh, Marvin's Room. And so that was the first play I did for Scott, but Fences was for Scott. And, um, uh, Humans was for Scott, so he um, he has sought me out to do a number of these adaptations, and um, and like I say, it's something I love doing. The only musical I think I've done, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, is uh, Hairspray. Hairspray? Was and Hairspray was just really, really great fun. Well, wait, you was know? Center was like, Stage? Was Center Stage? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I don't think of it as a musical, but I guess it is. Well, I, you know, and Little Children, yeah. of course, is amusing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
Little Children is not a musical. No. That so, was um, but a film that I'm very proud of. Oh, I, lo- I read that book before it came out. I love that film. Yeah, the book really, is amazing. I love that author, which his name escapes me, but I read, I think he had like three or four good books around What that is film. it, Tom? P begins with a P. Penelcheck? P, uh, I don't remember. I could run any other room. Uh, I don't know if I have that book anymore. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you this. With films that That's are... That's the thing, by the way. Before I was doing stage plays, we did, like, uh, then, like, a whole, whole raft of films based on novels. And I really missed that and didn't get back to that till two years ago when we did uh, Catch-22 and now when we're doing... Um, Ripley, um, yeah. the talent to Mr. Ripley. Anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. What, uh, oh no, uh, I, I was just going to ask one thing about the plays. Do, do you, have you seen, had you seen the plays before you designed the films or no? You don't want that? No, I had never seen Doubt. I had never seen Marvin's Room, never saw Sage County on stage. I've never seen uh, the humans on stage. There's a couple more in there. No. no. So, which I think, you know, for me is is good, you know, yeah. to not be yeah. influenced by what was done on stage. Yeah. Um, you know, and... I wouldn't want to. I, I don't... I don't... Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't want to do it because I would fear that I would hang on to something and then try to duplicate it, like, or get hung up on, oh, they did it better than I did. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, can I ask what the color green is in doubt? Because it's yes. fantastic. So that's, um, so first of all, green is my favorite color. It just so happens. And, green is the um, color of geniuses, you know. Well, I didn't know yeah. that. Do you know that that when you know, people when smart people pick cars, uh, they usually pick the color green. <laughs> that's interesting. We've yeah. had a lot of green cars. See, <laughs> um, it's it's kind of my favorite color because I do believe that um, that in the background on a wall that it has a kind of depth that not a lot of other colors have. A lot mm-hmm. of colors might just sort of stop your eye right there. And to me, green, just, you go into it. But so at any rate, and, and because we're going to do, doing school rooms, uh, green was kind of, institutional green was kind of a logical color for that. But for, um, for Meryl's office, um, I was working with the director, the playwright, John Shanley, and... Um, we were kind of looking at greens and Benjamin Moore is my favorite uh, paint. We looked at my Benjamin Moore book and he said, no, 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 none of those seems seem right. And um, uh, he had the color chart that they use, you know, for camera tests. Yeah. And he said, what about that green? And um, on the top row, I think about four in, there's a really, really good, dark but intense green and uh so that was it that was it had the scenic artist match that up then we painted in those walls and um 
I love it. I, I love, love it. It, I, it stands out to me. It stands out so much as that room, those tall ceilings and, and on that color and then like the cross on it or like her, her blinds and, you know, the action yeah. in the room is just, it's such a great background to everything that happened, yeah. all the discussion. And, and the- I have to say, since we're there, um, <clears throat> beautifully, beautifully dressed by Ellen Christensen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who I've done several films with. And, um, but I, you know, I've worked with Susan Boda, Deborah Shoot, uh, Stephanie McMillan in the UK, and Anna Pinnock. Um, oh, I'm, I don't dare leave anybody out. Some really, really, really wonderful set decorators. So, and Ellen did a fantastic job on that. So, when you do films that are, uh, well, I want to ask about Catch Twenty Two because I just burned through that in two days. It was so good. I had never seen the original. Um, I, uh, I hadn't read the book, but, um, I saw it and thought, man, this is, uh, I saw that it was shot in Italy and just kept thinking like, where do you get all this period stuff? Or where do you, where do you resource that? And then I thought, well, maybe it's Italy. Maybe they still have it hanging around. I don't know. Well, you know what? All of that, uh, all of those, all of the vehicles, all of the jeeps and tanks, all of those were in Italy. They were American. They were all left behind, and yeah. um, they had a big compound there. Um, the tents. Uh, so you know, on that, you might have seen I had two amazing set decorators: Anna Pinnock mm-hmm. from the UK and Alessandra Corsola from uh, Italy. And Alessandra is doing uh, talented Mr. Ripley with me now. Um, and Anna had been my decorator on Casanova in Venice, and um, Alessandra was her assistant on that. Mm. So I knew um, Alessandra, um, but I have to say, when I've been in Europe, Anna's always been my first call. And Catch-22 was so big that she said, well, you know, what if I were to split it with Alessandra? So that's what they did. So... Um, so a lot of the, I think almost all of the tents and all of the kind of gack came from the UK. Mm. Um, uh, they built an enormous amount of furniture. All of the mm-hmm. um, tables and benches in the mess hall, all of the uh, desks and sort of cabinets and stuff in the offices uh, they built all of that did you build the plane <clears throat> no so the plane was actually um a b-25 which the shell of a b-25 in um a museum <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> being restored in a museum in belgium mm. and they said that um they would let us use the shell if we, you know, if we kind of created the whole interior mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, give it back to them in better condition than, than we left with, than, than they sent it to us with. So, um, 
So that's what we did. And initially, uh, it was, uh, well, we broke it into two pieces, the, the nose, mm-hmm. then the fuselage. And then we had to build the tail section that breaks away. And um, initially, we were going to um, pull off some of the skin mm-hmm. of the of the plane so that we could have kind of camera portals. We At one point, we were going to build the whole fuselage uh so it just seemed to me because your camera you're they're in that plane so much and the camera's in with them and the angles and everything i thought oh they must have built this to and took off panels and just i don't know how they got the camera in there then so this is (laughs) this is the genius of george clooney and the uh cinematographer martin rue is um I mean, the conversation that all of us had, you know, we built a model so we could kind of talk about what we what we would need to do if we were going to build it. And then um, we all finally just said, if you pull a section for the camera, where's the point of view? You know, how do you tell the story? Because where's the claustrophobia? Where's the experience of being in that plane? So that was all shot in that fuselage. And the only time the camera was outside the fuselage, fuselage, the the plane itself is when it was, um, uh, when they were in the cockpit, we might pull a window Uh and the camera might be the window. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there were any number of scenes where Martin was like sitting, you know, in the nose of the plane, looking up at Chris Abbott. Um, And, um, but I think, you know, I think that was the best possible way to do it. Oh, absolutely. It, you it, know, it, I it mean, does give the viewer such a, like, inside this cooped up little thing. And, you know, this is all the amount of room you have. You could only even just move your arm just a little bit. I mean, it was, it was really no, close I mean, quarters uh, there. There are even shots where I think that it actually looks a little bit more, uh, a little bit larger than it is. Because I was, I spent a bit of time inside that plane. And, you know, you're crawling around on your belly to get the nose of the plane. And, um, you know, it's really tight. It's amazing work. And that, the last, um, the last episode um, with... um, The last episode was rough. Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, the last episode, I I thought it, it pushed a line the second to last episode because I don't want to give anything away but and I was like oh look at this this was shocking and then that yeah. last episode I just thought why would anybody be this guy's friend <laughs> like, <laughs> I, mean, I think I don't know I'd be like hey that guy he's the last man standing kind of deal I don't know if I want to be his friend <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah. uh just a, a really good story it makes me want to watch the original just to see, like, Alan Ark, because I saw that he's in it. I loved him, so I, yeah. I, I don't know. It's I, remarkably different. I bet. It's remarkably different. I and, um, uh, I mean, I remember seeing it when it came out, and, you know, everybody, I mean, uh, what we call it, Mike Nichols was on such a ride. <laughs> and um, it was a real, I remember it being a real event. And so uh, how long did how long were you there for that shoot in Italy? That was 8 months. Wow. 
eight months. So, um, but it was the shoot itself was just, I think we were 60 days, I guess. Is that right? Is that it for 10 episodes? Ten? No, no uh, six, that was six episodes. Six episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was a 60 days. Wow. Yeah. It was tricky because, I mean, um, I haven't done a lot of television and I've never done a limited series. And I've never worked with three directors at once. And um, so that was, it wasn't the, that was fun. Not, I mean, <laughs> fun <laughs> but, but, I mean but uh so I mean and and especially when we were on the base uh which was like you know 10 acres of set where you could you know I mean we easily have could have two things going on at the same time and sort of like running back and forth that was oh I'm sure up. you did I'm sure you had second unit yeah. constantly getting like flyover shots yeah. or like this or background little... or yeah, it was a little like that was a, that, that was the trickiest part. Designing it was a great joy, and but and the hardest part of the design was all of the planes, and um, you know we had we had two working B twenty fives that had to stand in for a fleet of eighty, so <laughs> and sort of uh, just following you know the nose art on each one and the aging on each one. And, um, you know, and, you know, then in addition to that, we had two transport planes. We have the Messerschmitt. So that was, I had like a wonderful team of two guys and that was their whole, that's all they did was deal with the planes and tracking the planes. And because of that, they also had to do the aftermath of the bombing and sort of track down all of those elements and, that was we, we had about uh, three days to put that in. Oh my god! And then they had to take it out. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it was ridiculous. Isn't it crazy? I I always love you know getting projects and then like the things that you have to research. Like I bet you never thought you'd be researching like warplanes and like you know. It's, no, it, it's, it was my first World War Two movie. Um, yeah, no, the research. There's no question. That's that's the absolute best part of what we do yeah i love it and that's the you know that's I, the most fun i'm happy you know because we were i was two weeks away from starting shooting and i had had six five six weeks prep so now i feel like i got all this more prep because i'm still researching things i'm still i mean they shut down right. my credit card but like I gotta, i'm still like filling up carts of stuff like to buy as soon as we start up again and right. um so yeah i feel like this is like oh this is what it feels like to have an enormous amount of prep like this is awesome yeah i mean i i think like for the most part i know we had a really generous prep on catch 22 we have a really generous prep on this uh on the talent to mr ripley right now and um so have you seen the the one the matt damon one did you see that sure yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i, I tried that. like i mean i was very 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 good about not watching it again and then i i think where was i and then I recently watched it, but this was after we had done all of our location scouting and we're going back uh, to the same, 
we're going revisiting some of the um, some not the locations but the areas that they were in. So I got a little nervous that you know I did not in any way, and nor did the director want to mm-hmm. repeat anything from the film. So it's. Uh... I mean, it's Italy. How can you not? When you're in Venice, I mean, and, you know, you you obviously don't want to avoid, like, St. Mark's Square or, right. you know, you can't, you know, I mean, I don't think they own that. I feel like if you, it's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> All those big ones. Uh... If you haven't watched Catch-22 on Hulu, it's really good. It's kind of like a dark humor war f- movie, and I mean, George Clooney's really good in it. I was so interested to hear how they had shot that, all the cockpit scenes, and they're in this airplane a lot, and uh, some really good, good scenes in there, so I'm really glad he shared that uh, with us. And also, uh, really good to hear his thoughts on the pandemic, and, you know, all of our experience of how this shut us down. Um, I have some upcoming interviews with other designers and buyers and just showing how this all affected each and every one of us in a different way. Um, you know, we're, we'll get through it, but it is an experience that I, and I really like hearing how people uh, are getting through it. I have part two of this episode with David, and he talks more about the Cider House rules, uh, about his experience on Life of Pi, which is uh, an amazing, uh, amazing story. And he also talks about my favorite, uh, Once Around. So I hope you catch part two of David Groutman's interview. So you're listening this long into the podcast. I know you like it, so go review it. Just click that little five star, write a little review. It's like two seconds. You can do it. It's on iTunes. It's fun. Just, it's fun. Decorating Pages podcast is sponsored by Stogie Floaty. Float them if you got them. Luxury pool floats. Get yours now at stogiefloaty.com.